Okay, so let's pray. Ready? All right. Father, we thank you for today, for your love, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us to yourself. Lord, it didn't matter of our age. It didn't matter if we were young or if we were old. Lord, and in particular with this group of fellows this morning, thank you that you called us the young, the youth. And that as youth, in the day and age in which we live, you have a calling upon our lives. That there is a way for us to stand firm in a way that matters to our age group, to the youth that you have given to us. Lord, I would pray that right now, today, this afternoon, even though we've had lunch and, and all those things, that we wouldn't be tired and distracted from that, but rather, Lord, that our hearts, our minds, would be open to receive from you. So God, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would have an understanding of your word and of your heart. By the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would have a change happen within our lives. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we would live differently as a result of what your word says to us. So Lord, would you please allow me now to be able to speak your word from your heart, empowered by and gifted by your Holy Spirit. For we love you and we thank you and we ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. All right. You, uh, you fellas mind if I wear a hat? Is that gonna is that gonna stumble anybody? Because if it is, you just gotta let me know. But I've I uh, stayed the night not at home, so I didn't I didn't bring stuff to uh, make my hair spiffy for you fellas. All right, the theme for the conference: Titus two, six and seven. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourselves to be a pattern of good work. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. All right. Likewise, exhort the young men. Exhort the young men. That's you, the young men. Obviously, right? You're like, yeah, duh, dude, it's the youth study. We're here. But here's the issue. You are the young men. You're not boys. You're young men. You're at a men's conference. You're not boys anymore. At your age, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, at your age, you would be on a battlefield. You would be leading grown men in battle. You would be the captain of a ship at your age, 100 or 200 years ago. And I get it. It's now. It's not 100 or 200 years ago. But you're still young men. And the call is to exhort you. But here's the thing. The older guys, the older generation of which I guess I am, I still feel like a kid, but apparently I'm not. Some of you look at me like, uh, you're not a kid anymore, dude. I get it, but I still feel like a kid. But here's the deal. It's my job now as your elder brother in the Lord to exhort you to some things. And, and as I thought about that, I thought, okay, here's the thing that I always heard from the time I got saved until now. I always hear that this is the last generation before Jesus comes back. 
Okay, everybody understand the idea of the chronology of the end times. You have the very uh, end of the church age, and then you have the rapture, in which it says that the sound of the trumpet and the the voice of an archangel, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who remain in our lives shall be caught up together to meet Jesus in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore encourage one another with these words. Okay, that's the rapture of the church. Then comes seven years really of hell on earth, the worst time that earth has ever seen called the tribulation. The last three and a half years being particularly horrible, being called the great tribulation, and then comes the second coming of Jesus Christ. And I always have heard, since I got saved, this might be the the last generation. So when I get an opportunity to talk to young men, I look at you and I go, God help us, you might just be the last generation. You might be it. There might be no generation after you. You might be the last guys, your generation, before Jesus Christ comes back and raptures the church. So I think, what would I say to a group of youth? I would say things like, read your Bible. And you would say, yeah, we know we always hear that. I would say things like, be led by the Holy Spirit. And you would say, yeah, I know we we always hear that. I would say a lot of things to you that you probably have already heard. So instead, I said, okay, Lord, what do you want to say? The Lord said, let me speak to them, which is why we're in Revelation chapter 3. Now, you look at the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, and each one of those churches, there is a letter written to each individual church. However, you can look at the seven churches and say, okay, that's to seven specific churches, those particular places. Uh, uh, You you know, uh, the two that we'll look at would be Laodicea and Philadelphia, but you have Sardis and, and these other ones, Thyatira or whatever. But you could also look at those things and say, well, that kind of represents like seven different mindsets in the church. Maybe not so much. But one thing that's really fascinating is if you understand history, you look at the seven churches and you realize that each of those letters is written to a different time in church history. And specifically, though there's seven letters, there seems to be six periods of church history that are addressed in these seven letters. The last two being the last two churches that are around right before the rapture of the church. So, let's read uh, there starting in verse 7 and then we'll break it down. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. I've kept my word, or excuse me, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet, and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the church, uh, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, 
You're neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see." As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, two different churches. These two churches would be the churches that are synonymous with the last days. And I would say to you, as a guy who has been walking with Jesus for almost 20 years now and has been pastoring for 10 years now, I have watched certain things come into and go out of the church of Jesus Christ in that time. And I could say to you that right now, I could, I could, I could seriously say to you that we could divide every church that I know of today as either a church of Philadelphia or a church of Laodicea. You either have the church that is the church of Philadelphia. That's a compound word in the Greek. Phileo, you know, is a word for love. It means brotherly love. Adelphi in the Greek is a word for brothers or brothers and sisters. So the church of Philadelphia is the church that is brotherly and loving. Then you have the church of Laodicea. Laodicea is a compound word in the Greek. And it literally means ruled by the people. The church in Philadelphia is the church that's ruled by the Holy Spirit. The church in Laodicea is the church that's ruled by the people. You have to discover for yourself, as somebody who proclaims Jesus as their Savior, as somebody that says they're a Christian, you need to figure out for yourselves, what church are you? Are you a Philadelphian? Are you a Laodicean? Because again, I firmly believe, and again, God help us, you guys are it. You're the last generation of the church. So how are you going to live? What are you going to do with that? What is going to be your motivation? What is going to be the source of your power and ability? Is it going to be yourself or is it going to be Jesus? And you have to figure out who you are. Look at, look at how this works. The angel of the church in Philadelphia write, and this is a letter from Jesus to this church. And Jesus says this, these things says he who is holy. We just learned about reverence. Here, here's the deal. Everything that we've learned today, all the messages that we've heard, Pastor Sean, Pastor Terry, Pastor Mike, and Ebo, all of those guys, I should say Pastor Ebo, all of those guys have all said things that lead right into this message. So I hope you were paying attention earlier because there's things that are interesting. First, Jesus says to this church, these things says he who is holy. I won't go into the whole breakdown of the seven letters, but Jesus only addresses himself with Old Testament titles to the church in Philadelphia for a reason. Because there are those who have studied the word and kept to the word and they understand when he uses Bible words, they understand what that means. When somebody uses Bible words with you, do you understand what that means? If you don't understand what it means, it might be because you're not reading your Bible. Does that make sense? 
If you were learning another language, if you were learning Spanish and somebody came in and started using their Spanish words with you and you didn't know what they were saying, it would be because you didn't know Spanish. When you're being spoken to using Bible words, do you know what they mean? If you don't, chances are it's because you're not reading your Bible. Jesus speaks to this church in such a way knowing that they've already been studying the word. Their heart's already prepared to hear a word. Now also, there's only two of these seven churches that when Jesus writes to them, that he doesn't say to them, you're doing this wrong. This is one of the churches that Jesus doesn't say anything bad about what they're doing. So he says, these things, writes he who is holy, he who is true. And this word true literally means that which is not false. So he who is genuine, he who has the key of David. Now again, this is an Old Testament reference. Here's the idea of the key of David. The gatekeeper in the city in Jerusalem, he would wear a key on his shoulder as a badge of honor. And what it meant about that man who had the key on his shoulder was that that's the guy that opens and closes the gates. That's the guy that can open the door so you can come in, but that's the guy that can close the door so you can't come in. Jesus says of himself, I'm the one that has the key of David. That city of Jerusalem, I'm the one that's going to sit eternally on David's throne. I'm the one with the key. I'm the one that lets you in, or I'm the one that says you are not allowed to come in. And we're talking about heaven, not just the city of Jerusalem, but the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city. So he says, these things says, he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now this is an allusion to what he's going to say in the next verse or two about opening and closing, but understand something. Jesus says about himself, he's the one that when he opens something, nobody can close it. And if he closes something, nobody can open it. Realize that when Jesus speaks this way in this introduction to the church in Philadelphia, he's speaking to them in such a way as to say, I am the one that you have believed upon. I am the glorious one, the holy one. I am the true one. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way by which somebody can enter in. This is how he begins saying this. And he says this, I know your works. To the church of Laodicea, he's going to say, I know your works too. But when he speaks to the church in Philadelphia, he means it in a different way. When Jesus says to the church of Philadelphia, you know what he says? He says, I know your works. I know your works. I see what you're doing. I see, I, I, I see all the effort that you're putting into this thing. I see how your desire is to follow after me. I know your works. When he speaks to the Laodiceans, he's going to say it, but the tone to the Laodiceans is going to be, I know your works. I know what you've been up to, and it's no good. So notice that he says this. He says, I know your works. He says, see, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, have not denied my name. Okay. So you go like, bro, why in the world did you take us to Revelation and start speaking code to us? Like, couldn't you make this simpler? Like, you have youth, okay? You're not like dealing with like all the old dudes. Why are you talking to us like we're like old dude Bible scholar guys? Because you're already supposed to be Bible scholar guys. You're already supposed to be that. You're not supposed to be old dudes and that's when you become Bible scholars. You're supposed to be studying your word now. Jesus says this, 
I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door. What does that mean? What does an open door mean? Opportunity. Paul, who, you said it? You always say it. You're always the guy with the right answer. I love that. That means somebody's studying their Bible. Check this out. Do you know what open door means? Paul uses the quote to the Corinthian church, to the, Coloth to, the, to the Colossian church as well. And when Paul uses the phrase, an open door, he uses it in reference to an opportunity to present and minister the gospel, the good news of Jesus. What's the gospel? What's the gospel? What is it? What's it? Okay. What's the very basics of the gospel? Yeah, go for it. Okay, and why? Why the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why? Because we sinned. What is sin? What is sin? Rebellion against God. Anything we think, say, or do that's against God is sin. We violated the standard of holiness that God set. And every single one of us is guilty of that, right? We know that. You know the Ten Commandments? We've... I, when I taught youth group just a few months ago with most of you guys, you, you know that you're guilty of that. Ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Maybe some of you can say no. Ever stolen something? Less of you can say no. Ever lied? If any of you say no, you're a liar. We've all violated the standard of God. And the word says that one violation, if we're guilty of one sin, we're guilty of the entirety of breaking the entirety of the law. Thus a need for a savior that Savior being Jesus, that being the purpose of the death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus says to this loving church, the church that loves him and loves each other, I set before you an open door. And the door's open to present the gospel. Question, last day's church. You guys, the last generation of the church, before Jesus comes back. Are you walking through the open doors that Jesus has provided for you to proclaim his goodness, his gospel to those around you? Are you doing that? Pastor Sean, uh, you know, talked about that to us today. Like, if you don't know the gospel, fine, we'll give you two weeks to figure out the gospel and then go tell somebody. But if you do know the gospel and you haven't told anybody in a while, then you got a week to go tell somebody about Jesus. Not because we're trying to put check marks on our little religious boxes. But because we've all been called to proclaim this, and when Jesus opens a door, we're called to walk through that door because the enemy himself cannot close that door because it's been opened, meaning the Holy Spirit has already been working on somebody's heart that then when the Holy Spirit puts it on your heart to go and tell them about Jesus and about the love of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Christ might be saved. Have you proclaimed the gospel to anybody lately? And if not, why? And again... Not because I want you to check some religious box. If you've not told anybody about Jesus, it might be a heart issue more than anything else. Because let me tell you something. I got saved Easter 2000, Blaine High School. Easter 2000. I got saved in the morning. That evening, a few hours later, I went to work. And when I went to work, there was a guy in the back who happened to be at the same service who was giving me a hard time asking me about, how's your new life in Christ? So you crying like a baby walking up there. And guess what? I was presented with my first opportunity for an open door. You know what I said? I said, bro, 
I don't know anything, man. I just got saved this morning, but I can tell you this. Jesus is real, and he changed my life. I'm different now than I was when I woke up this morning. When there's an open door, the Church of Philadelphia, the loving church, walks through it. But notice what else he says here, because I don't want to get too caught up in all this. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, meaning Jesus knows that the heart of the Church of Philadelphia, this last day's church, they have the heart to walk through the open door to proclaim the good news, the gospel, the saving message. Let me ask you a question. If your worst enemy, the person that you just despise in this world, if your worst enemy and you were in a room together, would you tell them about Jesus? Or would your heart be, I'm not going to tell that dude anything. He can go to hell for all I care. Because that might just be the difference between understanding if you're from the Church of Philadelphia or the Church of Laodicea. Is your love and your concern for your fellow man greater than your dislike or your hatred or your biases? He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. Nobody can shut it. But then look at what he says. He says, for you have little strength. Now, how do you like that? We're, you know, it's like a bunch of dudes. How do you like being called one with little strength? Who, who likes that? I mean, we just had the Bro-Olympics so we could all prove that we have big strength, right? Like, no, I'm Bro-Olympics, bro. Dude, and I'm throwing stuff and climbing over walls. Like, don't tell me I'm weak. But Jesus commends this church in Philadelphia and says, and you have little strength. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm glad that you have little strength because your little strength means that you're not relying on your own ways, on your own intellect, on your own power, on your own ability, on your own schemes. You're relying upon me so that when the door opens, you walk through it proclaiming the message that I put on your heart. This is commendable. Jesus isn't bashing them and saying you have a little strength. He's not going like, yeah, I know, man. You guys are just a bunch of weaklings. He's not saying that. He's saying you, you, you recognize that your power and your strength comes from the Holy Spirit and not from yourself. Are you one that has little strength? Because in just a second, we're going to get to the church of Laodicea. And guess what? They think they got it all together. They do everything in their own power. Well, watch what he says. I know your works. You have set before you an open door. No one can shut it for you have little strength. And you've kept my word. Okay, guys, we, we've, we've, been, we've been hearing from all the rest of the pastors about being in the word, being, you know, students of the word. I've told you about being students of the word myself, all this stuff. But like, do, do you see that one of the things that Jesus commends this church about is that he says that you have kept my word. Let me ask you a question. What's the value of this? Sincerely, to you personally, you don't have to answer it because your answer may not be the answer that, you know, you think Pastor Mike wants to hear. But what is... What does this mean to you? What is the value of this? Is, is this something to you that is worth keeping? Or is this something to you honestly? Honestly. You have to ask yourself that. Or is this something where you're like, eh, take it or leave it. It's not really that big of a deal. I'm only here because my dad made me. I'm only here because my mom makes me. I'm only here because somebody invited me. Like, I'm not, dude. Like, bro, 
I'm a teenager, man. I got so many other things that I'm thinking about that are more important to me than like, you know, bro, look at the size of that thing. You know how long it would take me to read through this whole thing? Are you kidding me? Like, you really want me to read the whole Bible? What is this worth? Is this worth keeping? Has, has this made such an impact in your life that you're radically different? And if so, is it worth keeping and sharing? Because if not, then you might be a Laodicean. You might be that other church that's around right before the rapture. You might be those that, that just think you got it all together already and you don't really need, you know, the word of God or God's help because you're already rich. You've already got all the stuff. Like, look at you. You guys are cool. Like, bro, I got a game plan already. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, nah, man, I got it, bro. I got a game plan. I got this social media thing going on, dude. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to be a professional athlete. I'm going to be, you know, like, what, what is this worth? Is this worth keeping to you? Is this a, is this a sincere question? Is this worth keeping? Is this worth keeping in your heart? Hiding in your heart? Is this worth spending your time digging into and studying and enriching your mind? Is this worth something that can absolutely radically transform your life or, or, or is it not? Or is it not? And look, I know we just ate, right? We just ate. But some of you dudes with your little like droopy eyes, like, you know, look to your buddy there and elbow him in the ribs real hard so it hurts and tell him, this is the word of God. This is worth keeping. Because the one that keeps you from the fires of hell gave you this. It's worth keeping. He says this, he says, you, 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 have, you have kept my word and you've not denied my name. What happens when somebody tells you, oh, bro, I heard you're a Christian. And I don't mean here. And I don't mean you guys that go to school here. Like, I heard you're a Christian. Yeah, I go to a Christian school. But what happens out there, outside the four walls? What happens when some, you know, cute little girl is like, sup dude right and you're like oh hey, you're super cute oh I thought maybe we could you know party but I heard you're a Christian what do you do then do you go like nah 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 not really I just go you know like my parents make me go like let's party girl or do you go you know what Jesus is more to me than you Jesus is more to me than, than, than a, a few minutes or a few hours of a good time hanging out with you. See, this is interesting, right? Because like, I'm over here talking about standing firm to a group of youth. What are you standing on? Are you standing on the word of God? Are you standing on your own ability, man? Or what's cool to your friends? Or what you flooded your mind with in the time that you could have been studying the word? What are you standing firm on? Look at what he says. He says, you, you've kept my word. You've not denied my name. These are the, 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 the accolades that he gives to them. Now, now let me show you before we, we go there. Go over to, to verse 14 now. And look at the, the, the things that he says to the lukewarm church. He says, and to the angel of the church of Laodiceans. And again, that's a compound word meaning ruled by the people. It's, the, it's the, the rule of the people. It's the people that have said like, no, 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 we're, we, we got it all taken care of ourselves. He says, these things says the amen, the faithful and the true witness. I am the amen. I'm the end of all things. I'm the one who's faithful and true. I have been the faithful and true witness to mankind. 
the beginning of the creation of God or the origin of the creation of God. You know, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and nothing was made that was made outside of Him, that He's the, the originator, the creator. Jesus has to say this to this church of Laodicea, and look at what He says to them. He says, I know your works too, but when He says it to the Laodiceans, He goes, man, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Now, this is debatable. Some scholars say being cold means being completely turned off to Jesus and being hot is obviously being zealous for, for the Lord. Other scholars look at this and say, hey, man, being cold is good. A nice, cold, refreshing drink or a nice, piping, hot cup of coffee, cold or hot, but not lukewarm. And he says, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, an interesting thing about Laodicea, it was known as a place where two springs came in, and as a result, the water that they had was lukewarm and was putrid. It's another name for like super smelly, super stinky water. So the water that would naturally be brought in through springs into Laodicea, you'd get a cup of it and go like. <laughs> which is why they would usually mix something with it. Some juice or, or something like that. Some wine with it or something. So it was palatable. Now think about that. The water in Laodicea was such that if you were to just get a cup of it and drink it, you would gag. You would gag. And you know what that's like. Like, super gross. Like, you know, like even that jelly bean game, dude. Like, you, you know, you get one of those ones that tastes like puke or skunk or something, right? And you're like, <laughs> right? And you know, like, you can feel it coming up and you're like, gag, gag, gag reflect. <laughs> Jesus says, hey, church ruled by the people instead of ruled by the Holy Spirit. You're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm and I want to vomit you out of my mouth. I wish you were cold or hot, but since you're neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. I'm asking you a question, seriously, another serious question. Are you neither here nor there when it comes to Jesus? Like, is he just like, yeah, I mean, it's cool. Like, you know, he's like the savior and stuff. I mean, he's like died on a cross and all that. I mean, that's cool stuff, but like, I mean, I'll take the salvation. I'll totally take the like, you know, I don't want to go to hell thing. But, I mean, you know, all the religious stuff, like, you know, following him and all that. I don't know about all that stuff. But it's, but it's cool. Like, I'm not going to hell because I, like, said a prayer once and come to youth group and stuff. So that's cool. What is Jesus to you? Who is he? Is he your savior? And if not, why? And if he's your savior, he must also be, also be your master. Because if he's not your master and he's only your savior, then he's not your savior at all. Is Jesus your master? Or are you lukewarm? Are you just like, eh, you know, it's cool sometimes, I guess. Who is Jesus to you? It's a sincere question. And here's the deal, right? Like, I get it, man. Like, I'm coming at you guys like, you know, whoa, you know, and you're like, whoa, dude, we just had lunch. But I don't have that much time. You, you get it? Like, we don't have that much time left on the clock, and then we got to go. I have to make the words count. Who's Jesus to you? 
Now, now, now go back to the church of, of Philadelphia. And listen, I told you guys, get Bibles. Do me a favor. When, when, when you see a pastor up here and he's speaking, like open your Bible to the same page. Look down even if you're not looking at the same text and pretend you are because eventually you'll get in the habit of reading along. Go back to verse 8 again. Jesus says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. No one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Indeed, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, this is interesting. Synagogue of Satan, say they're Jews and they're not. It's simply those who have no spiritual part with Abraham and he's not saying I'm going to make them bow down and worship you he's saying you're going to have a front row audience to when they bow down and worship me why because the synagogue of Satan was persecuting the church you you do realize that what comes along with the package of salvation is persecution right you, you understand that this is part of, of of being a Christian right like Paul, Paul said uh, yes all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution you understand this is part of it right like you're not supposed to be like oh, what is this fiery trial I'm going through Peter says like uh, don't be like you know surprised by that that comes with the territory but Jesus says you know all those people that are persecuting you and persecuting my church worldwide there's coming a day when you're going to have a front row seat watching them bow down and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. Why? Because the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Watch how he continues this. He said, oh, and also, and to know that I have loved you. They're going to know. Now watch this. He says, because you have kept my command to persevere. Didn't Ebo just talk about that? Persevering? Sticking with it. Remember, you, you're in the 11th round. You can't see the 12th round. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. What's the hour of trial that he's talking about? Somebody tell me, please, what's the hour of trial he's talking about? What is it? We talked about it. I gave you the timeline in the beginning. What happens after the rapture of the church? Seven-year tribulation. Jesus promises to the church of Philadelphia, hey man, you kept my command. You persevered. You stuck with it. You walked through the open doors. You had little strength, but you relied on my strength and my ability. You did not deny my word or my name. You kept my word and you didn't deny my name. And soon and very soon, there's coming a time when you alone will hear the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel and you will be caught up together to meet me in the air and you will be saved from the hour, the determined time on the calendar of the seven years of hell on earth. Is that not a great promise? I mean, unless you're into like living on hell on earth. I mean, like if you're into that, like if you, if you want to see a third of the population continually be plagued and, and die and, and have these weird like half scorpion, half horse things come and sting you and kill you and fire breathing stuff and all that. I mean, like if you're, if you're into that, then, oh, you know, cool, I guess. Like it sounds like a lousy way to die to me, but if that's your thing, that's fine. But you can't blame Jesus when that happens. You have to blame yourself for either rejecting him completely or being lukewarm towards him. And look at what he says next. He says, behold, I'm coming quickly. Literally in the Greek, it means when I come, it'll be like that. 
like a blink of an eye. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. What do you have? What do you have? You're young men who are supposed to be young Christian men. What do you have? What do you have? One word. What do you have? Somebody tell me. What do you have? One word. What do you have? Faith. Your faith. What do you have? Somebody else. What do you have? One word. What do you have? Salvation. Salvation. What do you have? Christ. Christ. All of those things wrapped up in that one word, Christ. Faith in Christ. Salvation in, in Christ. What do we have? Jesus. Hold on to what you have. And look at what he says. That no one may take your crown. This is not the crown of a king. This is the crown of the victor. The one that when running the race. Okay, who, what, when, when we do Brolympics, you get a cool dog tag with your name engraved and all that, right? So let's put it into modern today, like literally today, today term. Hold on to what you have that no one may take your dog tag that said that you're mine, that you participated, that you ran the race, that you walked through the open doors. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I'll write on him my new name. A bunch of really cool stuff. But now, fast forward, let's go over to the lukewarm church because of the time that we have left. And he says this, verse 15, I know your works, you're neither hot nor cold. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of your mouth. Why? Because you say, you don't need me. You don't need me. You say, I'm rich. I don't need riches from the Lord. I don't need blessings from the Lord. I don't need any help from the Lord. I got this. Okay, pause. Do you know who Jesus is talking to? What does it say there in verse 14? Who's he talking to? The angel of the what in Laodicea? The church. The church. Jesus says to this church, you're lukewarm. And you say, church, the church says, we don't need Jesus. We're rich. We don't need Jesus. Can I tell you, I told you in the beginning, but let me tell you this again. Every church in existence today is either in the category of the Philadelphian church or the Laodicean church. Every church. You see a church that might have huge numbers of people. And they got like really great production value. That's important today. Like the video, awesome, audio, amazing, cool like lasers and smoke and fog. And none of those things are bad necessarily, but when those things are the attraction and a charming personality and somebody that dresses really cool and is like super passionate and uses a bunch of great like taglines that you could just like post to your Insta and all this stuff. Those are churches that don't need Jesus because they got themselves. They got their own riches. They got their own wisdom. They got their own game plan. Those are the churches that Jesus says, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. So look at what he says here. He says, because you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyes have that you may see. And then look what he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. We're going to get on the expedited thing here because of time. Here's what Jesus says. 
You think you got it all together. And I see right through it. You know what you need? Me. You know what's beautiful about Jesus' letter to the church of the Laodiceans? He says, hey, you're doing it all wrong. But guess what? If you come back to me, I'll give you everything you need so you could be doing it all right. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Can I ask you a question, like sincerely? In the different messages today, have you felt rebuked by the Lord in some way? Like seriously, has there been something that somebody said something and you're like, oh, that stings. If so, it's because the Lord loves you. And he doesn't want you straying away the opposite way. He wants you to stick with him. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. Think about this for a moment. Jesus is standing outside the church saying, could I come back in there? Who paid for the church? Who paid for the church? Jesus paid for the church with his blood because you and I are the church. This building means nothing. This building is going to burn one day. You're the church. I'm the church. This is a brick, not a church. You're the church. I'm the church. Is Jesus in here or is he out there going, could I come back in there, please? I kind of paid for all of that with my blood. Do you see how crazy this is? Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody opens to me, I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Zealous means to be boiling over with enthusiasm. Repent means you're going one way and it is time to now stop what you're doing and turn around and forsake everything that way and head a completely different direction. My younger brothers, I sincerely and lovingly ask you this question. Do you need to be zealous and repent? Are you today a Philadelphian or are you today a Laodicean? Because Jesus says that if you're a Laodicean, he will gladly, gladly love to come back in. Will you open the door to that? Or are you going to stay lukewarm? He says this at the end, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Let me double check our, our time here. I think we're, we're officially out of time right now. So my younger brothers, I get it. I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, energetic or straightforward or whatever the term is. But the days are short. And I believe you're the last generation. And I believe when I look at the churches in Revelation 3, specifically Philadelphia and Laodicea, that those are the two churches alive at the very last day when the rapture happens. Who are you? Who are you? If the church is completely left in your hands, what's the direction? If the church is left in the hands of those who are filled by the Holy Spirit, reliant upon the Lord, sticking to his word and not denying his name, what will happen? But I got to tell you one last thought here. You know what I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sick and tired of hearing about? 
when I talk to people outside of the church. Well, the church, you know, like a bunch of hypocrites and it's not. You know what everybody's really saying? The church isn't genuine. And if the church isn't genuine, it's not Jesus' fault. It's the fault of the church who has chosen to be in Laodicea instead of Philadelphia. Who are you? Who will you be? What will be the future of the church as far as you personally are concerned? Father, thank you for our time. Thank you for these young men. God, I pray that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would draw them to yourself. And right now, Lord, as we, as we close, and we got to run downstairs real fast, Lord, if any single one of these guys know in their hearts that they are Laodiceans and not Philadelphians, then may their hearts cry to you be right now in this moment, God, forgive me. I open the door. Please come back in, Lord. I repent. I want to be boiling over with enthusiasm. I want to be zealous for you and for your ways. Forgive me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me in these last days for your kingdom's sake, Lord. For I love you and I value your salvation and your word and your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.